Jesus is in control. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Sometimes in life, it appears that oppositional forces to Christ can manipulate situations and force their will in our lives, but truly they can't. Today's sermon, Jesus is in Control, shows that at the moment of Jesus appearing defeated at his trial headed to the cross, he really is in total control of the situation. We can learn from Jesus' example and put our faith in him so that when we face our difficult trials in life, we will be rewarded just as he was with an eternal victory over our enemies who are in opposition to God's will. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with this commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. I just read John 18, 1 through 14. And in there, there is a lot to unpack, but the one crucial thing that I want us to remember is that Jesus is in control. Though it might seem like Judas has found a way to profit off of Jesus by bringing the soldiers so that he could get his 30 pieces of silver, Jesus is in control. While it might be a large number of soldiers and People who've come to arrest Jesus, being that there were Roman soldiers and officials from the Jews. Jesus is in control. Peter possibly trying to prove his statement to Jesus that I will die for y'all lay down my life for you. Because he was boasting in that moment and wanted to prove something. Jesus is in control. And even as Caiaphas prophesies that it is better for one man to die than the whole nation to die. 
And this plan may appear that it is his and he's worked it out because he's just been that cunning. Jesus is in control. And this control that Jesus has become more and more evident as we read through the 18th chapter, because none of this stuff is by happenstance, by coincidence, or took Christ by surprise. Jesus knew he was going to be on trial. Jesus knew the exact way he was going to die. He knew the person who was going to betray him over to the Jews. He knew who was going to leave him as he was took into court. Why? Because he's God. And while it appears that Jesus is going to be put on trial, his condemnation actually puts the world on trial. And we see what happens when truth is put on trial and those who are opposed to truth and those who are for truth. Because if we just think about this, understand the control that Jesus had, we're reminded that before Jesus even gives his farewell discourse from chapters 14 to 17, that in chapter 13, Judas leaves to betray Jesus. And Jesus doesn't stay where he had had that last supper with his disciples. No, what does he do? He gets up and he goes. He goes to a place that's familiar to the disciples, a place that I'm pretty sure that as he continued to go there over time with the disciples and as Judas became more and more familiar with the place, he said, I know where Jesus is going to go. Why? Because Jesus wanted him to know. And at the appropriate time, when he was to be betrayed, Judas would know where to go to hand him over to the Jewish officials. It was no secret. He was at the Kidron Valley. Judas, he wasn't told where Jesus was going to be, but he knows where to find him because Jesus is in control. And as Judas comes back with uh, this group of Roman soldiers and Jewish officials, this number in this band is said to be in the hundreds. Some estimated as little as 200, others estimated as big as a thousand. The reason why they say that this number of Roman soldiers could have been so large is because during the time of Passover, the Romans knew that the Jews had messianic expectations that at times the Jews got a little rambunctious and uh, they were rebellious can be evidenced in the fact that you have a Barabbas who's going to be crucified because he created an insurrection and he, he, he committed murder in the insurrection. But they knew at around this time of year that the Jews had a large number of Jews coming and it could be a very volatile situation. So to create this atmosphere of peace, Rome sent a large detachment of soldiers. And what we have here is a potential rabble rouser in Jesus that the Romans want to make sure that they do not allow this situation to get out of control. So Caiaphas says it's better for one man to suffer than we lose the whole nation. He goes and he gets Roman officials to give him some soldiers so that he can go get Jesus. But no matter how big of a troop that comes to get Jesus... When they come with Judas standing beside them, he asks them, who are you here for? Jesus of Nazareth. And in his first 
telling them that I am him, what happens? They all fall down. So he's showing them that he has the power control to stop this arrest. But he allows them to do it. Because with mere words, he makes them prostrate, fall on the ground, and renders them helpless no matter how many there are. 200, 200,000. Jesus just says, I am he. And they're helpless. Why? Because he's in control. And it's in the state of control that he goes with his captors. You see, he's showing them his meekness, not his weakness. And then Peter, trying to validate his claim that I'll lay down my life for you when he sees this large troop come in advance and they come and take Jesus, he cuts off a soldier's ear and Jesus tells them, no, Peter, that's not how it's going to be done. I will not get away from doing what my father has me to do. This cup, I must drink it. So Peter, we're not going to fight the world with the same methods the world's fighting. Why? Because Jesus is in control. And Caiaphas prophesying that it's better that Jesus die than the whole nation gets lost. While this prophecy is given, we also have the words of Jesus Christ, which was spoken way before that when he goes and he turns over the tables in the second chapter of John and he cleanses out the temple. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And then later in the third chapter of John, he tells them that when the Son of Man is raised, I'll draw all men to me, signifying the death that he was going to have. A Roman death of crucifixion, not one of the Jewish nature which would have been stoning or strangling, showing that he knew his fate and he knew where he was headed and that even though Caiaphas might have prophesied because the Spirit had led him to, Jesus was in control of this whole situation. And being that Jesus is in control of one of the most darkest hours of his life in every aspect that's interacting with it should cause us to have faith that no matter what we're going through, no matter how it looks, no matter what we have to do to maintain our faith that Jesus is in control and we will come out okay if we stick with truth. Because Jesus is not the only one that's on trial in this chapter. And while he's presented to three judges, two courts, everyone who prosecutes him has to face their own trial as well. We left off at 14th verse. Let's look at verse number 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went down with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold 
and the servants and the officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. You see, the sooner we realize that Jesus is in control, the sooner we realize we need to do what Jesus is telling us to do, make way for us to do. In John 17, Jesus prays to God that he's thankful that he is not lost none of those whom God has given him. And he says, the only one that is lost is the one, the son of, uh, the one that has been um, destined to betray Jesus. But he asks God to protect his disciples. And when he's in the garden, he tells the soldiers to let all of these disciples go. Take me. But what happens? We have two disciples, we're told, who choose to follow. Now, Jesus had already made a way for them to be safe, but two of them take it upon themselves to follow from a distance to see what's going to happen. And what they're essentially doing is they're putting themselves in harm's way. Because what happens is Peter goes and finds comfort with the fire that's provided by those who are in opposition to Jesus. He's called out. He's called out because I believe he's out of place. He's not supposed to be there. Jesus had prayed that God protects them. Jesus had told them to let these go their way. And two of them choose to follow. So what they have done in essence is they have skirted around the protection that God was providing them to put themselves in harm's way. And when we understand that Jesus is in control, that God is trying to really protect us, what we should do is go the path that God is telling us to go because he knows us. God, Jesus had told Peter that you're going to deny me tonight. Peter probably would have never fathomed that it would be in one of the most relaxing, comfortable environments probably afforded him that night. Because it's cold. And all he's trying to do is keep himself warm. So looking over and he sees Jesus try. He knows that this is God. He saw the power that he has. He's seen him heal people. He's seen him multiply food. He just saw in the garden to where Jesus with mere words knocked down a whole army that was against him. And in Matthew, it says that when he cut off the soldier's ear, that Jesus picked it up and put it back on him. So Peter sees all of this and Jesus says, let them go. He should have went. But no, what does he do? He follows. He follows and finds himself right in, dare I say, the lion's den. He's at the fire getting warm. Just imagine This is first century. They don't have heat like us. Technology hasn't made it to the point to where I'm pretty sure they're walking around with big heavy coats and parkas and hats and gloves and all of that. No, they have to face the elements. And in this courtyard to where Jesus is being tried in one part and Peter's out in the open with all of those who are in opposition to Jesus on the side of the Jewish officials who's persecuting him. He finds himself cold and wanting to get warm by the fire. So he's out of place, but he finds his comfort in the world. And when we find comfort in the world in opposition to what we have been 
provided by God, ways out of being led into sin, we find ourselves in positions to where we do not rely on the control of God. And we have to try to control situations ourselves. So Peter, by the fire, and a little girl says, aren't you one of them? She says, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter realizing that he is no longer in his mind under the control authority of Jesus, whom he's seeing being handcuffed and tried, has to rely on his own self. He denies truth to preserve his self. It's because he rendered control over to something other than God. But the story's not over. Because we see in this that Jesus is still in control. Because while Peter has denied Christ this one first time, Jesus is still protecting him. Because what happens is, as Peter is now on his trial by those who are by the fire, Jesus' trial is about to start as well. Meanwhile, at 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him on the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. You see, they're both on trial. Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? Jesus who are your disciples? What did you teach? One of them, they know the answer to partially. The other one, they really don't. Peter, they're kind of questioning his identity. Jesus, they know what he taught. How do we know? Because John is full of Jesus teaching publicly and the same officials that are going to kill him being present and finding fault in his teaching based upon their understanding and that's why he is in the conditions he's in now because they don't like what he's been teaching now as to the matter of who his disciples are look at what Jesus just did he knows Peter's in there he knows that there's an unnamed disciple that's in there as well but what does he do he protects them and he's honest about it as well Everybody who's heard my teachings has an opportunity to be a disciple. Everybody who's heard my teachings, there might be some amongst your number that are my disciples, Ananias, because there was a Nicodemus who came. There's a Joseph of Arimathea who comes and gets Jesus' body after he's killed in a couple of days. That's a disciple of Christ, but for secret. So don't ask me who my disciple is when there's all of these people who have heard my word. When you are familiar with it to the point to where you're killing me, condemning me because of what I'm speaking. Teachings you have heard. You know what I said and you're aware 
that there are a large number of people who are following me. But I'm not going to tell on Peter, who's over there by the fire, even though that's one of my closest disciples. I'm not going to mention the fact that there's another one that's close to me whom you are aware of because the disciple that got Peter in was known by the high priest. I'm not going to tell you that this man is my disciple as well because I pray to God that God protects them. And even though I'm on trial, I'm not going to give them up even though they will deny me because I'm still in control and I'm going to side with truth even if that truth is not accepted because the servant slaps Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't like his response. And Jesus' last words to the Jewish leaders in John is, if I have said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke truth, why do you strike me? That's an interesting phrase to leave somebody with. I'm pretty sure he said some more things in uh, while he was living, but as recorded in this gospel, that's an interesting phrase to leave somebody with. Tell me what I have done wrong to you and why are you mistreating me? If we could leave every interaction with people like that, we would really be blessing their lives. No matter how they treat us, we can walk away and say, if I have done you wrong, let me know where it is. And even if you do me wrong, tell me, why are you treating me like that? That's how Jesus left the Jews. But what Jesus also left the Jews with was the fact that he was speaking truth. Why strike me if I'm speaking truth? You know what I teach. And you see who come to hear it. He's in control. Even when people are trying to push him around and get them to deny truth, Jesus professes it and keeps to it. So they put themselves on trial because they're opposed to truth. And then they push this trial forward because they cannot find fault in Jesus. Picking up at verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Peter fails the trial that he's on. Denies Jesus. Because he knows what is possibly going to happen if he admits that he is a disciple. Trying to find comfort in the world, Peter fails in Christ. It's a lesson for us. No matter how warm the fire is, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how we try to fit in with those who are in opposition to Christ, when you get too close to that fire, you'll get burned. And your Christianity will be tested. And a lot of times, if you do not have faith to stay away, you won't have faith to stand up and admit that you are a Christian when you face Christ being persecuted. There's a lot of people who persecute Christianity and when you make your bed with them, you're putting yourself in opposition to Christ. And it's not worth it. Other gospels will say that Peter ran away crying, weeping, because he knew what he had done. But at the same time that this disciple of Christ is at his low point, Jesus is at a high point. Regardless of what's happening to him testifies to truth. I came to testify to truth. I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't say my kingdom is not in this world. It's not of this world. My kingdom's origins do not originate in earth. They actually come from heaven. And while it is in heaven, I still have people on earth that are in it. And everyone who believes in me is part of my kingdom. Pilate, recognizing that there is a validity to what he's saying and that he's not guilty of what it is that the Jews are trying to put him through, doesn't have the wherewithal within himself to fully come to defend truth. So he tries to skirt around it. And he presents the Jews with the option. I have a custom of letting somebody go. Do you want the king of the Jews? Which was a slap in their face because the king of the Jews, he was saying this weak 
person who's in prison, who's in chain, who does not look kingly at all, is who I'm going to say is your king because I'm mocking you because you have no power. I'm in control of all of this. And my determination is going to be the final say in all of this. That's what Pilate understands. He doesn't recognize the full truth. But what he is trying to do is trying to ridicule the Jews. And so he gives them an option. I really don't care about what he's talking about. I really don't understand what you guys are doing. But he doesn't appear guilty to me. Do you want to take him? Because you really haven't even told me no charges that you brought up against him. Because what do they do when Pilate asks him, what's he guilty of? If he wasn't the criminal, we would not have brought him to you. They don't even condemn him for anything. They just say, kill him, execute him. Because by our law, we can't kill nobody. Which is not all the way true. Because on previous occasions, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus. And what does he do? He walks out of their midst because his hour had not come. He's in control. And at the time when his hour had come, he's only going to die the death that he, God, has decided. So, what do we have? Pilate on trial against the truth. And Pilate can't see truth. So he allows those whom are in opposition to truth to pressure him to persecute Jesus. And in all of this, who they want in their midst is Barabbas, whose name means the son of a father, which is interesting. They don't want the father's son. They just want a random son of the father who has made insurrection. And other gospels tell us he committed murder in that insurrection. They want a rabble rouser in their midst instead of one who can heal them. They want one that's going to destroy them. Instead of one who's going to bring peace, they want one who's going to cause some destruction on some level. Instead of one who is showing love, they want one who is probably motivated by hate. Pilate understands all of this. And yet, He stands by as if he has no control when he has told Jesus, don't you know I have the power to release you? Which he really doesn't. Because he doesn't understand the truth. And so a question is, what do you do with truth? Jesus is truth. Testify to it even in difficult times. Peter knew the truth, but he allowed himself to get too close, too comfortable in the world to admit it. The Jews opposed truth, so they did everything that they could to suppress it, and Pilate was indifferent to it, so he didn't care if it was upheld or denied. In those four different scenarios, we find ourselves either upholding truth or denying truth. And the question is, do we have the wherewithal within ourselves 
to understand that Jesus is in control and when he provides us a way to be safe that we're to take it so we don't fall in situations to where we're tempted and we'll fall. When you read the Exodus, you'll see that God said he could have took the children of Israel through Canaan's land because it was shorter, but to prevent them from going and experiencing war and being scared and going back to Egypt, he took them another way, providing them a way that was going to instill the faith that he wanted them to have. Even though it might have been a little bit longer, it was better for them. Jesus, let these go and take me, providing a way for his disciples to escape being in the same scenario that he would have so they wouldn't have to see his trial. They wouldn't have to see him get beat. They wouldn't have to face the persecution from the Jews so that their faith could deepen so that they would stay disciples. And Peter demonstrates to us the danger of not taking the way out provided. Paul will later tell the Corinthians that God provides a way through every trial. The question is, are we going to trust what God is doing for us, with us, to us, and have faith through it? Or are we going to say, you know what, I want to see. I want to test what I believe to be true even though I see that God is saying I should go this way, he's making it easier for me. No, I want to see what they're going to do to Jesus. Because I said I was going to lay down my life for him. And I think I'm ready, but God knows that you're really not. And there's no need to go and test those waters. Because they're a little bit too deep for you. But even if you do, God still loves you. What does Jesus do? He doesn't give up, Peter. He doesn't say, yeah, that's my disciple right there. And one gospel will say that when the cock crew, Jesus looked right at Peter. He doesn't say, there goes one of my disciples. Mm-mm. He says, ask anybody what I taught. Because he knows that Peter is going to be reinstated. But at this moment, he's falling. Peter put himself in a position to where he couldn't Proclaim truth when he was supposed to. Jesus is in a position to where he proclaims truth no matter what is going on. And as we look at our lives, we all know truth. So let's put ourselves in positions to where when we see God is saying, I don't want you to go that way, let's not. Because there's no telling how we'll come out. Because while it might look comfortable by that fire... You might see somebody familiar that brings us in to this world that we're really not a part of. If we stay there long enough, we might deny the one who is actually saving us. And we don't want to be put in that situation. So truth. Let's do all that we can to uphold it. But also, when we understand truth, And we understand that our comforts are not to be found in the world. We're supposed to remain faithful to Jesus. What do we do to do that in tough, difficult situations? Because what happens? All the disciples abandoned Christ. 
And he's here by himself. And he's shown throughout this passage, throughout the gospel, throughout history, that he really is in control. And how does he maintain that control? He keeps truth in the forefront. Which at times is difficult. Because it's easier to say, I'm not one of them. Than it is to say, yes, Jesus is the son of God. And even though I admit that, I know that you are very against that. And you are going to do me harm. Whether it be financially, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally, whether it be socially. You are going to put me in a bad situation because you do not want to accept truth. But I cannot deny it. And so I'm going to maintain my faith like Jesus did. And no matter who questions me about what, I'm going, I'm going to tell them what God said. Because he's in control. And as we read the gospel, we already know how the story ends. Jesus Christ, maintaining faith, keeping truth, is raised from the dead. And the life that they thought they could take found out that they couldn't. And the life that he demonstrated he has, he extends to all who believe in him. And that's what he tells Pilate, the person who's indecisive, who doesn't know what to do when confronted with truth. But we have demonstrated we know what to do with truth. So let us, let it guide us. Because Jesus has already prayed that God protects those who believe on his word. John 17, the prayer we looked at last week. He really asks God to keep those who have faith in him. So no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we're going to be under God's protection. And even if that protection means you have to get squeezed a little bit, hurt a little bit, you're going to be okay. Why? Because in us maintaining, upholding truth, we point God's light to the world and God wants to glorify that because he's trying to draw all men to him. And when we do our part, God will do his. And those who are in opposition to God, they're going to lose. But God's going to protect us. And the sooner we can see that it's not about this physical body, but it's about the one that's going to be called into heaven to where this kingdom originated that we find our citizenship in, then we will understand I really have nothing to worry about. Because you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. You can make it difficult for me in this world, but you can't keep me from the eternal promise of the next. And that's truth. That's the message that Jesus came to give. And that's the message that saves us. The gospel, death, burial, resurrection, and the promise for those who believe that, submit their wills to it. And when we do that, we see that Jesus is in total control. Total. Like, it can get hard. People can do all they want in opposition to it, but Jesus is in control. John, who writes this gospel, 
later is exiled to Patmos. And when he's there, he gets a revelation from God to Jesus. And he is told, write this letter to these seven churches. And then that letter contains God's final plan of how he's going to bring this history to an end. He doesn't show them step by step. He gives them big pictures. And he lets him know that there's going to be some hard times for those who have faith, but I'm in control. None of this is going unnoticed. And that there's going to be some who are persecuted and who's going to lose their lives because they have demonstrated faith, they have testified to faith in the opposition of those who are against God. But he says, I am going to vindicate them. I'm going to give them a white robe. I'm going to give them an eternal home. They will be in God's presence forever. Why? Because Jesus is in control. The only one in heaven who was worthy enough to open up the books and to reveal God's plan to all of creation is the same Jesus who died on the cross for us. The same Jesus whose blood washes us away from our sins so that when we fall short, God doesn't see us in our weakness. He sees us as our state in his son's sacrifice, sinless. Because Jesus is in control. And when we submit to his control, we find ourselves on the side of truth. Even if we find ourselves on the side of truth, we're not that many people standing there. We'll be there with Jesus. I'm not sure where this message leaves you. But I hope that I just... Put on your mind that no matter what you're going through, that Jesus is in control. To hold firm to the truth and not allow anything in this world to shake you from that. Because there will come situations, circumstances, and people who will look to oppose you just because of your faith, your identity as a Christian. And we can't allow that, even if it means we have to go through some hard times. It'd be all right. Because we won't go through it alone if we stand for truth. Jesus will be with us. And if they take our lives because of it, or we die in the truth, we will be with Jesus. Because he came to establish a kingdom that's not of this world, but it's in this world. And we find ourselves citizens of it hoping to go back to where its origin is with God. And my prayer is that that's where we all find ourselves and that even when it gets hard, we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us to strengthen us through our hard times. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. 
You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.